Hi guys, I'm Coach Desi and this is Post Stop to Won't Stop. I'm a physician assistant who fell in love with bariatrics while working with a surgeon here in Florida. Finding ways to help my patients in their journey has always been my priority. I'm now a personal trainer who works with clients to help them reach their goals and stay on track after their surgery. Post Stop to Won't Stop was developed to allow patients a platform to share their stories and to help educate people on the process of weight loss through surgery. Let's listen to real people share their wins and losses and learn what really happens in the journey after surgery. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited about our guest. Um, I don't want to share too much because there's a lot to get into, and I'd rather hear it straight from her. So today we have Shantae. Hi, Shantae. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you. Um, your story is just so, so important. So I just, I'm going to give you the opportunity to just kind of take us through a little bit of your journey and, uh, and then we'll get into some more specifics from there. Sure. Um, well, my journey began about 15, 16 years ago. I went into a weight loss program um, at Howard University Hospital and um, they recommended the B12 shots and all of the normal things and the same diets that I've been getting for most of my life that didn't work. And, but they also had a bariatric center. And that was the first time that I was cleared for surgery. Um, so through the course of those, those 15, 20 years, I was cleared for surgery three times. Um, most recently, when I was cleared, I... Um, I decided that I was going to do everything to support myself. So I did mental health and I did meditation and I did all of it and finally determined that I was going to have the surgery and completed that, I think, the middle of June of this year. Fantastic. Fantastic. So we are looking at about three months out. And yes. how are we feeling today? I'm feeling good. I am getting into the habit and the practice of taking care of myself of nourishing myself, of um, mentally supporting myself through all of the changes and the transitions and making these commitments that hopefully will last a lifetime. I love that. Now, how is that different from before? Do you feel like that element was missing before of nurturing yourself and kind of taking note? What was that? Is that it, beforehand? It, it is really different. It, I, I, it took me a very long time to figure out that it wasn't selfish to take care of myself first. Um, it, in my family and my life and my culture and, and everything, um, I kind of built my personality around being there for other people and supporting them and taking care of them. And I felt like it was the, the Christian thing or the nice thing or the appropriate thing to do was to always put everybody else's needs and wants before my own. So this is a journey where you do not have the option of not putting yourself first. You do not have the option of not taking care of yourself. It is really a different, it's a different perspective and it's, um, it's not a small undertaking. No, it is not at all. <laughs> now, you said your journey started 15, 16 years ago. Is that when you started to be concerned about a your weight or is this something that you that goes back even further? This is something that goes back even further. I probably picked up weight, started picking up weight at five, six, seven years old. And I was heavy all throughout the end of my childhood, all throughout high school and college, going into my early adulthood. So I probably entered this program initially um, around the age of 25. And that's when I decided I was honest and I just wasn't happy with my weight and I was willing to do something to change it. And that was before, and I had done diet pills and everything you can do. Every diet pill that you, you can have, I had tried um, and none of it worked. And every diet left me a little bit heavier. Um, and I just finally realized over time that the weight was a symptom and it wasn't the problem. Um, so I really, it was hugely mental for me. And it was a way for me to comfort myself um, was food. It was easy. It was cheap. It was always there. I could just eat chocolate when I had a bad day. Um, and I didn't realize how deep that ran for me. Got it. 
now I'm going to circle back to that here in a second. But what struck me and struck of interest to me was you said that you had been cleared for surgery three times. So I'm not familiar with the program that air quote clears you three times. Does that mean you three different programs? Oh, three different programs. So yeah, uh, three different programs. I, I I was cleared through Howard University Hospital in Washington D.C. I was cleared through GW, actually twice. I lost insurance and then regained it, and so twice I was cleared through them because it has a time limit for how long the insurance would accept it, and then finally um through Mercy Medical and Baltimore. Okay, got it. So you had been trying to have this done multiple times. Okay. And I was afraid to do it. Like I really felt like it was a last resort. I felt like it was so irrevocable. I felt like it was just such a harsh thing to do. And I wasn't really ready to say that I couldn't lose the weight by myself. So that's why it took me so long is that this wasn't an easy decision for me. And I knew enough to know that it was an emotional crutch for me. So I couldn't take away the only thing that I could use to kind of process and deal with stress without replacing it with something. So that's why it took me 15 years of like working on myself to get to the point that I was willing to kind of walk without that crutch. Got it. Now you said that you're really, really important. I love when patients say this because it's totally at the root of me, I feel like is absolute truth is it weight is a symptom. Yes. It is not the problem. It is the symptom of a yes. problem. What was it for you? What was the root cause for you? So all sorts of different things. Um, there's fear. There is comfort. There is a way to moderate emotions that I never learned how to deal with or process because it's not okay to be angry and it's not okay to not be okay. Um, it's the, the culture that is, you don't complain, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you keep it moving. Nobody has time to deal with that. Nobody has yeah. time for your problems. And it's part of, it's part of the way I was brought up. And the reality is, is that none of this evaporates all the things that you don't deal with, that you shove away, come out in a different way. Um, and in the process of finding a therapist that dealt with this, and it took me over a decade, it was a long winding road um I the the center the place that directed me to the therapist was an eating disorder center and I just wanted a referral and they actually did a whole intake and intellectually I knew I had food issues but they actually said no you have an eating disorder and we recommend you for our outpatient program and I balked I scoffed I was like, I don't need this. I didn't ask them for this. Why? I, I don't, they just want money. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't need to go into treatment for this. And it was three hours, three days a week. It was very intensive. Um, and I sat back and I prayed and I thought about it. And I said, you don't know what you don't need. You know, you need help. Try it. And in the process of going into treatment, within the first two weeks fell completely emotionally apart, which let me know that this is where I needed to be. Like I, I fell completely apart. Um, and I just hadn't dealt with any of this emotional eating and it was emotional eating. And I didn't understand what I was feeling. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was completely overwhelmed by everything because I had learned at a very early age to just put something in my mouth and I'll feel better. Um, and when you stop doing that, all of the stuff that you don't feel comes out and you have to learn how to process it like an adult, articulate it, identify it. Um, you have to learn to be comfortable with discomfort so that you can be desensitized to it. You have to do all of that stuff. And that was really like the root of me dealing with the eating. Like I could not have done it without treatment and I could not have done it without therapy. The weight it was a symptom of all the other things. Wow. Okay. So this is, um, let's pull back just a hair. So how did you get to that center? You said it was a referral. So were you already in treatment and someone kind of said, hey, I think this is your next step? Was it one of these um, weight loss centers? Like, how did you get to that? 
So in the process of looking for a therapist that dealt with eating disorders, they're very, very rare. They're few. You sought that, I'm sorry, you sought that yourself. Like you said- I sought that out. I had been in therapy off and on, but I wanted someone to deal with the the eating thing. Um, And it's addiction in a sense, but it's not. And so I specifically, this, this go around as I was, you know, making this effort, I said, I wanted a therapist that deals with eating disorders, that deals with food issues, whatever it is, at least they'd be able to identify it. I don't know what it is, but I know it exists. You just said, I have a food issue and I need someone to help me. That's okay. And I know that because I was on a diet when I was in Howard University Hospital, when I went through their eating disorder and they gave me the diet and I'll never forget, I am not an overtly emotional person. I was at work. I was in a very stressful job. I was sitting in front of my boss and someone sent me an email that completely blew up all the work that I had done. And I started crying. And I was crying as I was talking, just as I'm talking now. And it was in front of my boss and I was mortified. And I remember like wiping the the, the tears off of my cheek and looking at them and looking at her. I'm, I'm, I said, what's wrong with me? And, you know, she offered you, she tried to comfort me. It's okay. You know, you're under a lot of stress. Things are going on. I was like, but I don't cry. And I had an apple on my desk and I picked up the apple and bit it and instantaneously stopped crying. Like it, the tears went back up my tear ducts. Um, and that let me know at that moment that there was a connection. I didn't understand it, but I knew enough to know something was there. So 10 years looking for a therapist, I've had therapists that hung up on me. I have had five therapists row to row that don't take insurance. I've had therapists that are only aligned with eating disorder clinics and you have to be an inpatient, um, inpatient patient for them to treat you. And I got a referral to a um, a therapist and she couldn't take me, but she said, I think the center in Baltimore might be able to refer you to a therapist and it's called Renview. And I said, okay, and you're, you're a detective. You have all these pieces of paper with all of the stuff scribbled everywhere because it's 10 conversations in that you get anywhere. And I called them. And they said, uh, we might be able to help you, but you have to do an intake. We have to ask you a question. It's intensive. It's at least an hour. Are you okay with that? I said, yes. And this was maybe 45 days from my 40th birthday. I had this big trip planned to Jamaica. Um, And literally the day after I came back was the intake. And so I did the hour long intake. I quit COVID on my birthday. I'm outside of an emergency clinic on the phone with these people. And they're asking me all of these really, really detailed questions. And I'm blanketly honest because I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I have COVID. And at this point, I want help. And I know enough to know that you can't get help if you're not honest. Like you have to tell people what what the reality is. And after this, that's when they diagnosed me and said, we think we need you to come in for our outpatient program. Wow. Guys, I hope you're listening to this. Like, do you understand how long Shantae looked for the right therapist? It should not have to take that long. That's why I want you to listen to this story right here. It took her a decade to get to this point, correct? Mm-hmm. A decade. So please, if, if, if anything that you're listening to resonates, um, I'm going to give some information at the end of this so that you can learn more about disordered eating patterns and, and, and get help should you think this is something that you need as well. Mm-hmm. So you did this intake. They said you need this intensive outpatient. Mm-hmm. And I know here in Florida, um, insurance, they do take insurance. Is that is that the same for you? They took insurance? They do. The very interesting part about this is initially when I did um, or was cleared for bariatric surgery earlier in my life, I had insurance that would cover it. Later on, the past seven years, every job that I had had a writer specifically in the insurance contract that excluded bariatric surgery. So the moment that I decided that I was ready to consider it, insurance wouldn't cover it. I went into a job probably six months before, maybe eight months before I had the surgery. It was the most stressful job I've ever been in. I was miserable. I had a title. They gave me a director title. It was everything that you were supposed to want. 
things that I didn't even know I was going to get. And I was miserable and made the determination I was going to quit the job. I said, I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to find a way to take care of myself. I had tested myself in all these little ways over the years before leading up to this. And I said, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to give myself space and time to do it. I literally did the surgery on Cobra. I paid for everything out of pocket. I paid for my therapist out of pocket. I paid for the ther for the surgery out of pocket. I paid for outpatient treatment and by grace had the money in my savings and spent it. There is a correlation between investment and payoff, and you cannot treat yourself cheaply and expect to get incredible resorts. I had to invest in myself. So it was, I took a stand financially, emotionally, every way you can take it. Yeah. So when I was ready for this, I paid for this through Cobra. Ooh. I got chills. I am hearing some preaching right now. Like you were ready. I mean, like you ready. So when you went to the, when you did the outpatient treatment for the disordered eating, mm -hmm. you, that was out of pocket for you. I pay roughly $650 a month for Cobra for insurance. And then the program itself, I think after insurance, all the things over were roughly a thousand dollars. And I think it was for two or three months. So it was a financial investment. Yeah. Um, and I fought it every step of the way. Your body, your mind, your spirit will fight this. It's something new, it's terrifying, it doesn't make sense. You think you don't need it. Like every resistance point that you can have, I had it. I didn't even know until the last month in that I was going to stay the entire time. Like everything I could try to do to sabotage myself came up because I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to deal with it. It was a lot to deal with. This is the, the closet that held everything my whole life that I just closed the door and I didn't want to open that door and deal with it. But the only way through was to open the door and unpack it. Um, but yeah, it, it was a financial commitment. But the other thing I found is that money came to me. I know people talk about manifesting things and, yes. and whether you believe in it or not. When I put money the places that it should have been for me, money came to me out of grace, out of nowhere. I would get clients with the exact amount of money for what I needed to make a payment. Even for the um, even for your services. I didn't know where it was going to come from. And all out of the blue, I made, I said a prayer. I said, if this isn't my highest and greatest good, I need the money to come. And it came. Oh my goodness. Guys, if you're not getting excited about this story right here and you're not learning something from it, I need you to press rewind. <laughs> There's so much here. Now, I do want to kind of step back. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what um, an eating disorder or disordered eating is, I know people may have heard of anorexia um, or bulimia. You know, anorexia is, is um, uh, a disorder where you're underweight, you're not getting enough calories, you're con constantly obsessing over, um, you know, thinking that part of it's body dysmorphia where you think you're bigger than what you are. And so then you keep doing things, you overexercise, undereat, all these things. Bulimia has a component to it where you're um, forcing yourself to bring up um, food. There's binging that's part of that. But in terms of, um, you know, beyond that, there are other forms of disordered eating patterns. Um, some of those are binge eating disorder, night eating syndrome, emotional eating. These are all forms of disordered eating patterns. And in terms of bariatrics, there's a high prevalence of disordered eating and eating disorders among individuals seeking bariatric surgery. Studies show that 10 to 23% of people seeking bariatric surgery have an active binge eating disorder and lifetime binge eating disorder prevalence rates range from 13.1 to 50%. This is why this story is so important is because I don't think we're talking enough about this I don't think primary cares are thinking about this. I don't think, I hate to say this, weight loss clinics are not asking these questions. Bariatric centers are not asking these questions. And I know that the psyche valve is part of the bariatric workup. I know that happens, but there's a lot of centers that if you're paying cash, they don't ask for it. Or you go out of the country, they don't ask for it. 
you've got to be like Shantae and put yourself first and really think about where is it that you need to invest to get a return because being overweight or, or dealing with obesity is multifaceted. It's not just one problem. There's often multiple different things that are happening at the same time. And if you are seeing someone that's not having an open discussion about things and really diving deep and doing the full evaluation the way it needs to be done, you need to find somebody else. And unfortunately, like Shantae's story here, it took her years to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, what advice, uh, well, where do I wanna go with this? I think right now, what advice would you give someone who's looking, who thinks, oh, this might be me, where would you, what would you say to that person? Uh, there are a few things I'll say. Um, one is that, well, I did a lot of work internally that had absolutely nothing to do with the weight. And I invested years of like being brutally honest with myself and figuring things out that had nothing to do with the eating and everything to do with the eating. I got to a point before I had the surgery where I did not know if I was going to have it. I, I did all of the doctor's appointments. I had found the therapist. I did the psych eval and actually the, the, she wasn't a therapist. She was a technician that just signed a form. She asked me these questions to figure out if I was depressed and I was mildly depressed because this is a depressing process. It's hard. Um, and she said, you actually don't meet the criteria, but you're so honest and you're doing a meditation, all of the things that you're doing, I'm going to sign the form and fight for you. She was like, but they don't want you to have the surgery if you have any blemishes on your record, if, you're, if you have a record of eating disorder, or if you have depression, um, because the truth is that there's a high prevalence of this surgery not working. I don't believe it's because it physically doesn't work. I believe it's because it doesn't support people fully through the process. You cannot change the anatomy of a person and not deal with what got them to that point. Um, so I, right up until the point that I was cleared, did not know if I was going to get the surgery. And my moment of peace was in not knowing, I said, would Ever my body looks like for the rest of my life, I want to be joy and have joy in it. And I want to be happy and I want to be healthy and I want to have joy. And if it's at 200 pounds or 150 pounds, whatever that number is, I want to be able to be happy with myself and present in my body. And when I let go of it, I was able to say yes. So that's one. Two, I had so many people tell me I didn't need the surgery, that it was ridiculous, that I wasn't that big, that the way I related to food was normal. You know, everybody when they're depressed eats ice cream, everybody eats cookies, everybody, you just need to push back, push away, you know, moderate. I learned that it was more than emotional eating that in addition to me binging, I actually restricted, which contributed to me keeping the weight on. I was fundamentally not nourishing myself properly and I wasn't listening to my body. And because my body was not a safe place, I did not know how to listen. And the only thing I know that I definitively got out of treatment is that I knew when I was full, I knew when I was hungry, and I knew why I was eating, whether that be emotional or I'm hungry. And I, I knew enough coming out of that program that gave me the foundation for the rest of the stuff. So you have to know when you're full before you take away 75% of your stomach. You have to know why you're eating why, what you're eating. It doesn't mean that I don't have days where I really want to eat a cookie. And I know that it's because, you know, my boss stressed me out. It's understanding and making a choice where before I felt like I had no control over what I was doing. So know, know your triggers, support yourself through the emotional part of it, because it usually is an emotional component. Um, and I will say ev everybody's different. People come from different faiths. People come from different backgrounds. Faith was a big 
big thing for me, you have to have a support system from within yourself and from without. And you have to be honest. You have to be brutally honest. You have to treat it like warfare. To get that kind of joy, you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot. And I was willing to be honest that I wasn't happy. And I was willing to be honest and sacrifice to find joy and acceptance. And those are not big things. And I haven't achieved it, but I'm working towards it. Yet. I always like to say. Yeah. I haven't achieved it yet, but it's a process and it's a journey and I'm moving. I'm moving. Yes. Oh, you said so much good stuff there. One thing that stood out is you said that your body was not a safe place. Mm-hmm. you didn't know how to listen to it I, I didn't listen to my body it, binge eating for me was terrifying and right before I went into cheat, treatment I binged ate for two weeks straight almost and it was it was terrifying I'd never done that before it was resistance I was terrified about what was going to happen and it's a terrifying thing to eat quantities of food that you know physically you're full but your body doesn't feel full yeah and it was like, I cried the moment I ate with my group and I knew to the bite that I was full. I had never experienced that because food wasn't about nourishment. It was about comfort. It was about family gathering and love. And it was all these things, but it was never about, are, is your body getting what it needs to function properly and to sustain you? And I just had never done that. Like I'd never been taught that. I'd never been taught to listen to my body. And your body will tell you after the surgery to the bite, to the drop, that you've had enough. And if you don't have that trigger, you'll make yourself sick. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I've counseled patients who still did not, they've, they've come to me post-op and, you know, they're they're just like, I don't, I don't know what that feels like still. You know, this is after they've already had surgery and now to us for some other service and and you know they're just they they talk about this and, and that's why I it was like when I met you I and just listening to your story how honest you are and that I mean I think the first thing I said to you after that was I don't know that you know how valuable your story is I mean as a practitioner I it viscerally gets gets to me when I hear that you, you know, you went to people and they turned you away and they didn't listen to you. I mean, that's what providers are there for, but the studies are there that shows that the bias, the weight bias from healthcare providers is in the 70 some percent. I mean, that means you have a three out of four chances of going to your provider and being judged just by walking in the door. Yes. Um, yes. And that's just very hard. It's very hard. And I also learned that thin does not equal healthy. Like that is an equivocation that we make all of the time. In treatment, I had probably 75% of the people that were there with me were under 21 and they were really young. And they had every condition that you can think of. It leans towards restriction, but thin is not, it does not equal healthy. And it was understanding that carbs actually have a functional need in your body, that fat has a purpose, that all of these things that we're demonizing as horrible things, actually your body needs them. They need them in certain quantities, but you're supposed to have carbs. You're supposed to have fat. You're supposed to have things. And it's just as detrimental to your body, to your mind, to your spirit to deny yourself these things as it is to overindulge. Like there is not one side of the coin that's better than the other. Both of them don't nourish you. Yes. Um, And to understand that and accept it and be taught by nutritionists what these things do for your body, for your brain, for your heart, for your muscles, um, you know, why the diets make you feel horrible because you're depriving your body of things. Like that was very informative and those are not lessons that they teach you in school there's not these are not things that are on in mainstream media nobody ever tells you what carbs actually does for your body and your brain um it's just don't eat them yeah oh yeah carbs i mean your your brain only runs on glucose yes um we're on the same wavelength here i was just getting ready to read this excerpt uh it is a myth 
that everyone struggling with binge eater eating disorder lives in a larger body. Individuals who struggle with binge eating disorder present across the body size and age spectrum. However, binge eating disorder in higher weight individuals is often undiagnosed or underdiagnosed due to medical professionals focusing on weight and related conditions. So, okay, so you go to treatment, you fall apart, like you say, you completely fall apart. And walk us through kind of the rehab process. What what was that like? And what what was the biggest takeaways from what you learned from that center? Um, so the process was hard. Um, I fell apart. I would never I'll never forget I had an email. Someone sent me an email, the normal, you know, obligatory Monday, mid-morning, this is ridiculous email. Um, that wasn't that serious. And I wasn't, and once you have to understand, once you identify that there is a problem and somebody has diagnosed you, and that's a huge thing, that this is not normal and that we can treat it and that you understand that treatment is not a magic pill, that they're not going to push a button, that you will navigate this for the rest of your life. Um, I fell apart, like literally started crying in my therapy session because I had therapy two or three times a week, in addition to the three hours, three times a week in group, in addition to, I had to fill out food logs and emotional logs. So it was a part-time job. And once my therapist looked at me and basically confirmed for me that now that we know what it is, it's not going to magically go away. There's not a button I can give you. There's work yeah. and work that you have to do. Um, I got the email and I literally walked back to my bedroom and got in bed and went to sleep. I was like, I can't do it. It was just too much. Yeah. <laughs> I can laugh at it now, but I was like, no, I can't. It's just too much. I can't eat. It doesn't work for me anymore. I can't process. Um, you're uncomfortable for a while and gradually you get less uncomfortable. You learn how to moderate. It's the same thing a toddler does the first time they take their steps they fall and they fall into stuff and eventually they get up and they get steadier and then they're walking and then they're running. So you have to be willing to fall. You're going to stumble. You have to be honest about the things that cause you to fall. Um, and the process is just a process. Like honesty is essential and grace and forgiveness. You have to forgive yourself. You have to be okay with understanding. I'm still working on it understanding that there's blame blames helps no one and you have to actually address what it is that's causing you to have these abnormal eating patterns um and understand that your body and your mind and your spirit did this so that you could survive but it no longer serves you um so as i said before the things that i got from this were understanding of how my body works, understanding of the things that were and weren't serving me, that not eating until dinner actually messed up my metabolism and made it so that everything I put in my body, even when it was a salad, my body retained everything and I gained weight. And that's not what they tell you. They tell you to push away, to stop, to put your fork down. All these things that are stigmas and the ugly things they say when you're heavy and that you feel sometimes in restaurants when you order what you really want to order. Like these are the things that they teach you that if you can just stop eating that it's so much and so much of the wrong things that it'll all magically be okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not the truth. Actually depriving myself contributed to my problem. Um, learning to be honest. Um, but really the, the hunger and satiety cues were the huge things to know when I'm hungry, to know when I'm full, to know when it's emotional and to know when I just need nourishment and to listen to my body. Those are the things that I took from treatment that I use every day. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So it was interesting. Uh, when I met Shantae, Shantae found me on the internet and she reached out um, to be part of her journey. And that's always such an honor, but, you know, I do, I do a consult on her and I'm going through and I ask all these, I ask questions in all different areas of a person's life, which can sometimes be, some people take, take 
they just don't know where I'm coming from with it because they're not used to being asked so many questions about your sleep and your stress and all these things and coping. And, and Shantae was just like, I do this and I do that. And she just seems so knowledgeable about all these things. And, and, and that's how it came out. You know, that's how you taught, you shared with me your story. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. So now that you've, you did all that prior to having surgery, mm-hmm. you had surgery, mm-hmm. now, side of that, knowing what you now know, right? You had opportunities to have bariatric surgery before it's, mm-hmm. And no coincidence that it didn't happen, right? That you got treatment first and then successfully had surgery. Can you do like a little retrospect and kind of just tell us like, what do you think the difference would be had you not had treatment? You're a very honest person. You're also very in tune, which is always surprising. The fact that you were not in tune with your body before. I mean, I feel like mentally for sure, you're very in tune and aware, self-aware. And I think that helps you in your journey, but but looking back, like, where do you think you'd be now postoperatively had you not had that experience? I think I would not have been prepared for the level of commitment and the level of work and the level of um, transition and growth that's required to do this. There's no way for you to know this unless you do the work, unless you sit down in a safe space with somebody and have conversations that you did, didn't want to have. Um, that you didn't know you needed to have, um, that you just have to, it's, I arrived at this place because I was not present in my body. My body was the last place and the only place that I put no restrictions. I ate what I wanted to eat because I had to survive everything else. And I could show up for other people because I could eat what I needed to eat. And it wasn't large quantities, mm-hmm. um, but it was enough to get me going. And I finally realized that I just wasn't present and I wasn't happy. And that I wanted a level of joy that you just cannot have if you're not taking care of yourself. Um, so what got me through treatment was meditation. And I tried it several times in my life. And for those that are analytical and thinkers and problem solvers, meditation seems like the most ridiculous thing on earth. It seems like something that you just cannot physically do. It's like reaching up and pulling on the stars out the sky. How can I make my mind stop moving? My cup was full and it was running over and I had to figure out how to take a full drop, a couple of drops out of that cup. And meditation gave me enough space to realize that I didn't breathe that I braced for impact every second of my life, waiting for the next thing to come. And the ability to take a deep breath, a full deep breath can save your life. Um, So meditation, I I just tried things that I hadn't tried before. I didn't know what Pilates was. I walked past the center. It looked weird. There were pulleys and, and, and stuff. And I asked the person, I said, what is this? And they said, you know, this is Pilates. I said, well, I have no athletic ability. What class would I take just to see what this is? And they told me about a center and balance class. And I started taking it as one of the favorite things that I do in my week. I do not like exercise. I love this class. It stretches me out. And it allows me to be present in my body in a way that feels safe and feels good. And so pre-surgery, I did it and I do it now. Um, I just was brave enough to do things that I wouldn't have done before. I took art classes. Um, I'm a designer by trade. I don't use my hands and it's not the same kind of creative. I went back to the things that have I knew would bring me joy and did them and just paid for it and didn't make excuses. And I went there and showed up And when you practice something, it becomes a habit. And if I want to be in joy, whether I'm in this body or a smaller body or a bigger body, I have to do things that bring me joy. So I learned to do things that made me happy, that brought me joy, that had nothing to do with food and tried some stuff that didn't make sense. And I keep trying it and I keep doing different stuff. And somewhere along the way, I just keep moving. And that's not always a straight path. And I've I've been tripped and I've stumbled, but I'm moving. Yes. And you learn how to get up quicker the next time. 
you learn how to get up. And I was always strong enough and intellectually knew it because of all of the the challenges that came at me in life. I always survived them. But the compromise I made was me, was my health, um, was my physical health. And I can no longer compromise that. And that means that sometimes I'm not the sweetest person in the room. And that means that sometimes I have to look at people that I love and say, no, I can't do that right now. Or, you know, a million other things that you say no to so that you say yes to you. Like you have to learn how to do that. That's the only way to survive it and to thrive in it. Yes. I love that because, you know, survivors, we tend to be in a constant fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And so, because we're just, like you said, we're used to just surviving and allowing yourself that breath and moment to find joy and to connect and to give yourself breath and kind of look back and say, damn right, I made it through that. And like, have a just moment of like, Patting yourself on the back, as ridiculous as that sounds, just kind of like give yourself that credit that you would give your fellow family member or friend or coworker for being like, yeah, dude, that was freaking hard. And you, you just got through that, you know, I mean, we don't always get through it unscathed, but yes, goes to you. Um, all right. So let's, let's go into now that you're on the other side of it. Um, and you're, you know, you're three months in, we still got some ways to go. What are your, what are your wins? What are your, what, what's, what's filling your tank right now? Post-operatively, what are you excited about? What does your future look like? What are you, what are you looking down the road? Are you just living day to day? I try to live day to day. Um, I'm trying to maintain the practices that got me ready for surgery. After surgery, you have this lull. And so I'm trying to build them back up and you, you rest on your laurels and you, you're like, I, I, I got through the surgery, so I don't need to meditate every day, or I don't need to do this every day. And you still have to do it. Like, um, I feel the difference when I don't. The single biggest accomplishment to date is that I have been on um, high blood pressure medicine for probably 10 to 12 years. I've had high blood pressure probably for 15, um, I always blamed it on a stressful job or the stressful family or whatever was going on. There's always some reason to blame it on something, but I had been on medication for about 10 years. And the day after my surgery, actually the day before my surgery, my blood pressure was normal because you have to stop the pills to go into surgery. And I'd been on the restrictive diet leading the, the pre-op diet. After surgery, I stopped taking blood pressure medicine and I haven't taken a pill since. That felt great to go to the doctor's office. And I was one of those people with really large arms. I had to have the extra large cuff because the other ones never fit. And to go in and my arms are still large. They still use the big cuff, but my blood pressure is low enough that I have to check with the doctor that it's okay. That feels phenomenal that that to me is one of the biggest wins um the other things are things that you don't anticipate um despite this interview I'm a pretty private person like I don't go around sharing everything that's going on in my life my my close circle know but not even all of my extended family knew what I was planning on doing um my support system was me and a handful of people um it's the opportunities that fate gives you. It's the conversations where you see someone struggling in ways that you struggled when you weren't willing to be honest and you say something. It's the ways that you support people that you didn't know that you'd be able to support them. It's, it's the people that come to you that you never knew would. The insurance woman that I called to figure out what I would actually have to pay because I didn't understand it and I was stressed out and told her what, the, what I was doing and she had had the surgery and offered to answer questions. It's the grace that comes to you because you are finally allowing yourself grace and it comes to you. Um, so those are the things that were unanticipated that are wins. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I don't want this to end because I could just sit here and talk to you all day long. But one more question, and, and I think you've already alluded to it, but I kind of just want the audience to, to hear it again. Treatment didn't end when you 
finished with your intensive outpatient therapy. Treatment, as you said, this is going to be a lifelong thing. How are you navigating it today? I navigate it day by day. I have bad days. I wake up some days and the vitamins and the protein and the all the things I have to manage are overwhelming. And I'm really honest with myself those days and I do the absolute best that I can. And when people ask me how I'm doing, I tell them the truth if I, I trust them. Um, and then I have really good days. There are days where the number doesn't matter, but you randomly pick up something that you've loved to wear your whole life and you put it on and it feels different. Um, it's And there, there are pieces of this that you don't anticipate. It's the, the piece where... Um, your favorite thing that you wore that you always knew looked good because it fits you and somehow miraculously through all your sizes fits you. That black thing, whatever it is, always fits you and it felt good, will no longer fit you. It's the fact that I've given away 90% of the things that I used to love to wear. And I had to give them a new home because I have to make space for the other things that are coming. Um, it's when somebody looks at you and notices the weight loss and they say, oh, you're getting skinny and that might not feel good. Like there, there are decades of my life that I dreamed to hear somebody say, you're getting skinny. It doesn't feel good to me now because skinny is not the word to describe what I'm getting. It's bigger than that. Um, in all the best of ways, but yeah, they're. It's it, it's a day by day, um, hour by hour sometimes, but usually day by day, day by day process. And you're still connected with a therapist? Yes, I still am connected with my therapist. I see her either every other week or every week, depending on her availability. That is absolutely essential. You have to have a safe space to talk through this. Your body is shifting. Everything is transitioning all at once. And you have to talk about it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to, to sit in it um, so that you don't do things that are not good for you. Yeah. Um, so therapy, it baffles me that it's not a requirement for surgery. Um, there is absolutely no way that I could have gotten through surgery or any of the after effects had I not had therapy. It, I do not understand how you get through it without it, but um, it was essential for me. That's phenomenal. I, on that, you know, I, I own Fusion Health and Fitness, Fusion HFX. My goal when I first started this was to help people in this journey, to help bariatric patients. Um, it was key for me to really impact at the root and it would be beyond just diet and exercise. Um, and I 100% agree with you. I don't know how people do this without mental health support. Um, and that was really important to have on my team was people, providers who can, who can provide that support with the background in, in eating related issues, just eating patterns, things like that. Now, do we consider ourselves a disordered eating center? Absolutely not. But the approach with our dietitians and with our mental health providers, that our team is mindfulness. And that's a lot of what you learned in your treatment was being mindful. It was canceling diet culture getting away from the damn scale, get away from that number, find other ways to see positives in your, in your journey. Um, and postoperatively, I, I, I always get patients that come in and, and I ask them, what's their goals? And they're like, I need to lose 50 pounds. And they look at me sideways because I say, what happens at that number? Mm -hmm. They look at me and I'm like, they're like, what do you mean? I go, well, the number you gave me well, what what happens does like fireworks set off does like someone show up at your house with a check like what what happens at that weight and it's interesting because a lot of them attach happiness to a number the number yes I want to be happy no matter what the number is. I am fully mentally prepared for some time in the future, five years from now, seven years from now, I'm going to gain some level of weight back. It's going to happen. My body's going to change. I'm going to have a bad day or it could be Medicaid, anything. Something's going to happen. 
when I gain that pound, I want to be just as happy and present in my body, have just as much capacity for joy as I do when I'm smaller. Like I do not want it to be tied to that number. And the other thing is I don't want people's acceptance of me to be tied to that. And it, I cannot detach that until I have it within myself. Like I have to be able to be okay with me unconditionally and honest with me unconditionally before I can expect it from anybody else, before I can require it of anybody else. And that's hard work. These are not small goals. These are mountains. And I'm willing to walk them. Like I have to be willing to, that's what happiness looks like for me. Everybody has a different thing. But if that number goes up, and I'm in joy, and I'm healthy, and I'm still working out, and I'm doing everything I want to do, I want to be able to go to my doctor and say, hey, I gained 10 pounds. I'm doing all the same stuff. Do you know what it is? And be detached from it. That would be like a superhuman feat, but I think I can do that. If anyone can, Shante, it's going to be you. Listen, mic drop. There's nothing else to say after that. I mean, I can't even have planned a better exit after that. That was just... That's all icing on the cake, as they say. So thank you so, so very much for sharing your story, sharing your journey, being so honest, sharing your wisdom. Um, I mean, this is, you know, this is not always easy to be so transparent and in, in giving of your story. And again, without question, there are people that are listening to this that are connecting with you and you are going to make a huge impact because you were someone who was okay with sharing your story. So thank you so very much, Shante. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Shante's story. For help for you or someone you know who may have a disordered eating pattern or eating disorder, there is help. Please reach out to the NEDA, National Eating Disorders Association, today. You can reach out to them through their website at nationaleatingdisorders.org or call 800-931-2237. For 24-7 crisis support, text NEDA to 741-741. Reach out today and get the help you need. Thank you all for listening. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what you thought of this episode and any ideas you'd like to hear more about. Keep in touch through social via Facebook or Instagram at Coach Desi and subscribe to my newsletter at CoachDesi.com. Remember, your journey is still being written.